Well, I want to talk about baptism. So let me quickly tell you what I'm going to do. And then hopefully I do it. The first thing I'd like to do is just do a quick survey of the Old Testament to show us where baptism shows up there. And then I'd like to look at this text that Kelly read. So going to the Old Testament, baptism is everywhere. It doesn't just occur in one or two places. In fact, it occurs right from the get-go, or a picture or a pointer to baptism occurs right from the get-go. So in creation, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the chaos of creation, over those waters, and God speaking creation into being. And so in creation, through God's Word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God brings order out of chaos. He brings light out of darkness. He brings a world into being. Later on, we see another picture of baptism in in Genesis with the flood. God commands Noah to build a flood because he sees that the only intention of man's heart all the time is only evil. And he's going to begin again. And so God has Noah build an ark. And a small group of people are saved from the waters of destruction by obedience and trust in God. And at the end of all of that, the whole, not the Holy Spirit necessarily, but a dove comes and brings a signal of peace to Noah. We see a new creation or a rebooting or a beginning again of what God began in the very beginning. In Exodus, hopefully the Exodus picture is obvious. In Exodus, we see the people of God enslaved in Egypt. And so God raises up a deliverer and he leads them through the Red Sea. And they walk through on dry ground while those that enslaved them are wiped out by that same sea. And God's presence is in their midst. Israel crosses through by the intervention of God and by God's mercy and his initiative. And they come into the wilderness to serve God. And they have a covenant with God there in the wilderness. Moving further on in Leviticus, we see that the priesthood as they were prepared and ordained for their ministry, are all washed and blood is applied to them. And by that washing, they're prepared to enter into the house of God and minister in the house of God, to go before God on behalf of the people and to go to the people on behalf of God. And it's that washing that prepares them for that ministry. We see baptism again when Joshua enters the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. The Ark of the Covenant goes into the Jordan and stops the waters, just like it did at the Red Sea. They go through those waters and they come into the promised land to take the promised land. And notice, too, that they take the promised land, or at least for sure, Jericho, through worship, through offering up worship to God, not by their own initiative. If we go forward through Scripture all the way to the time of the prophets, Uh, There's a great picture of baptism when Elijah is getting ready to be taken up to heaven and he's walking with Elijah, excuse me, Elisha. And Elisha knows he's going to leave and he keeps following him and eventually they cross the Jordan. And once again, Elijah parts the waters of the Jordan like the Red Sea was parted, like the Jordan has been parted before. And when he crosses, Elijah is taken up into heaven and Elisha gets a double portion of the anointing that was on Elijah. It's another brief picture of baptism. One last one I'll mention is Naaman the Syrian. He's a general of a foreign army that's fighting Israel, but he's got leprosy. And he comes to Elisha. And Elisha says, here's what you do. You go down to the Jordan River and you dip in it seven times and you will be clean. And at first he balks, 
But finally, he does what, what Elisha told him to do, and his skin becomes like that of a newborn babe, and he becomes a worshiper of the God of Israel. Time would fail me to tell of other pictures of baptism in the Old Testament, from Jonah to Ruth, who would have crossed the Jordan River as she confessed faith in the God of Israel and came into the land of the people of Israel. Of Jacob, who would have crossed the Jordan and who wrestled with God next to the Jabbok Creek. Many pictures. But let me just explain how all of these are gathered up and fulfilled in the baptism of our Lord Jesus and the baptism of Christians. Jesus comes and takes human flesh. He takes our human nature and adds it to his divine nature. And he himself, as a human, is baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him bodily as a dove. And there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Christians are baptized into that baptism. They're connected to him in faith. And when we're connected to him in faith, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus himself. Because John said he would be the the spirit baptizer. And we're recognized by the father as adopted sons, adopted through Jesus Christ. And we see these Fulfillments and these gatherings up of all these images from the Old Testament, new creation has begun again through the Father's sending of the Son and the Spirit, just like He created through the Word and the Spirit. He sends the Son and the Spirit to bring about new creation. And the Spirit hovers over these waters and over the lives of believers to give, bring order out of chaos, to shine light into the darkness of our hearts, and to fill them with His presence. Jesus is the new Noah's Ark. He's what Noah's Ark was pointing to. He is the one, those that take refuge in him, find shelter from the judgment that is to come. The washing off of the, not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Colossians about baptism. Baptism is a new exodus. Just like Israel was enslaved in Egypt and groaned, groaned, People who come to faith in Jesus follow our captain into the waters of death, out the other side, and are brought into freedom and loving service to the Father. And service to God is the only true freedom. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're washed like priests. We're told repeatedly in the New Testament that we are priests in the household of God. There's not just one priest. There is one priest, Jesus the high priest. And all of us are washed in the waters of baptism, and believers are called to be priests to God for the sake of the world. We're the new army of Joshua, who've crossed those waters following our captain and led to the war that he's called us to, fighting against sin. The scripture says in Romans that God will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. And this is the ancient fight that we have with the serpent from all the way back from Genesis. So there's so many ways in which baptism points to all of these Old Testament pictures. But let's look at this text that Kelly shared with us tonight. What practical significance does baptism have? Some people think of baptism like, oh, I've checked it off my box, now I'm good. Well, Paul has something different to say. He would say that since you've been baptized, it should change everything about your life. So let's look at what he says. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Do you notice what Paul doesn't say here? 
He says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, God has been so merciful to human sin and salvation brought about despite human sin is so great. Wouldn't it make God look better if we just continued in sin? And Paul says, that's crazy. But notice what he says. He doesn't say when you were saved. He says you were baptized. Why does he do that? He doesn't say when you were converted or when you accepted the Lord Jesus into your heart. He says you were baptized. Something was done to your body. And that changes the way you live. For Paul, conversion without baptism is incomplete. And somebody asked me this week, and you might be thinking, what about the thief on the cross? And I think God can take care of the thief on the cross. But for the believer, it is the first step of obedience to him and following of him. And it's something like a believer who hasn't been baptized is something like a monarch who has succeeded to the throne of a deceased king, maybe their parent, but hasn't yet been crowned. All right, King Charles III was just crowned this summer. I don't remember how many months it was between Elizabeth's death and his coronation, but it's something like that. It wasn't until he was crowned that he began to take up his reign as king, and I know he's not... He doesn't have the powers of the king, but you get my image. Stick with me. Paul says that believers who have faith in Jesus through their baptism are dead to sin. That that reality no longer governs their life. Sin was our master. Sin was our taskmaster, but it is not anymore. We are not under that law anymore. Just as Israel left Egypt and we're no longer under the reign of Pharaoh... Believers have left sin and death behind, and we're no longer enslaved. We're no longer bound by those restrictions. Baptism is a sharing in the death and a sharing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not a mere metaphor. Paul will say in another place, believers, you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's not a metaphor. That's a reality that is enacted by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. Notice Paul's language here. We share in the resurrection of Jesus. We already, to some degree, participate in it. Now, Paul can very well say, and will go on to say in Romans, that we await the fulfillment of this, the resurrection of our bodies. But believers, he says, already participate, to some degree, in the resurrection of Jesus. It is a present reality in the life of believers. Because we, should, we participate in his resurrection, Paul says, we are called to walk differently. And if I could put it very simply, Paul will say, if our faith in Christ and our baptism doesn't change the way we live, we need to go back to square one and see what might be going on. Paul says, henceforward, we should no longer serve sin. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, he dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. 
But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The important word, the key word that I want to draw out in this whole section is reckoning. It's a thinking word. It's an intellectual word. It's a cognitive word. Paul says how you think of yourself is crucial to how you live. And he says you need to think of yourself according to the reality of God's word that believers are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Consider just in everyday matters. If I say I can't, I can't do it. I very likely won't. Right? If you've said that in your life when you face with a challenging thing, you very likely won't. We can't take the land. There's giants in the land. They're too big for us. Guess what? They didn't. That generation had to die. There's a lion in the street. I can't go outside. It says in Proverbs, the way we think, and we're finding this more and more, the way we think matters. But keep in mind, I'm not talking about positive thinking here. I'm talking, Paul says, about thinking according to what the word of God says about you and I. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see, you think, ugly, pretty, funny, not funny, smart, a failure? There's all kinds of things we see. Paul would say, when you look in the mirror, you should see one who is dead to sin and alive to God as his father through Jesus Christ. That our primary identity should be as one who has been bought with the blood of Jesus and has been ushered into the presence of our heavenly father and is no longer under the slavery of sin. We're connected by Jesus to the grace that flows from the Father. And Paul says, that's how you need to think of yourself. So it's not just positive thinking. It's thinking thinking of yourself according to the reality of what God has done in Christ. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Paul goes on to say, guys, you're dead. There's a new reality in your lives. And now you need to conform yourselves to this new reality that is in your life. And how does he say you should do it? He says, yield your members. Now, remember I said in the beginning, Paul says, Baptism was something done to your body. Paul's still talking about your body. He doesn't say yield your heart, although he would probably agree with that. He says, you take the members of your body that formerly were available to sin, and you say they're not showing up to that job anymore, and you present them to God. And you say, God, these are your lips. This is your mouth. And the way I used my mouth to tear people down or to complain or do something else, it's now in your service. My hands that I might use to take or to strike, they're not mine anymore. And I don't want to show up to that job that I was at before where I was a slave for death. The patterns of sin, Paul would say, have been worked into the habits of our bodies. And Paul says the key to this now is to reckon yourself dead and to continually offer your bodies up to his service. And this can happen as you go to work, as you go through your day. God, I'm working. But, you know, formerly this was for sin, this was for other things, but Lord, take my day, take my job, take the things I'm doing, I offer them up to you. 
seeing our bodies as being offered up to him and retrained and broken away from the patterns of sin that dwelled inside of us is what Paul is all about here. If you've seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, there's this really powerful scene when a character in the movie played by Morgan Freeman, he's been in prison for 40 years. He was a young man when he went into prison and he's paroled after 40 years and he's working in a grocery store. And at one moment in the film, he goes up, he, he raises his hand to the supervisor and says, bathroom break, boss. And the boss is like, come here. You don't have to ask my permission every time you need to go to the bathroom. Just go. The patterns of the old life are hard to break. See, he probably needed a little bit of reckoning. I'm free. I'm a free man. I'm not under the conditions I was in anymore. And I need to see my life differently and offer up my life differently. What Paul has in mind here is this pattern that occurs all throughout Scripture. It is the grace and response to grace pattern. It is the indicative and response to what God has done through the imperative. Here's what I mean. Through many of Paul's letters, he says, let me tell you what God has done in your life through Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And Paul celebrates that and celebrates the grace and the gift of God. Only then does Paul proceed to say, so now this is how you should live in response. This is what you should do in response. And in this, Paul says, look, God has done something. When you believed and when you united yourself to Christ through faith and baptism, God put you in Christ and Christ brought you into the Father's presence. And now the grace of God and the gifts of God are available to you so that you can live differently and so that you can daily learn to offer up your body, offer up all the members of your body to be instruments in his hands for his purpose. Amen. Paul says our lives are now called to be different and we have now a different master. This is what it means to be under grace. Paul would say you're under grace now. So live in it, grow in it, use it to bring about the transformation of your life that the gospel is meant to bring about. So Paul says we're called believers to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. We're called to offer our bodies, our our members, as instruments for righteousness. We're called to receive the grace that comes through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and to consecutively have our lives and our bodies in particular changed day by day and reformed day by day as we offer them up to him. We continue to train and undo the habits that sin has has ground into our bodies. And as we do that, we go from glory to glory, from grace to grace. We are changed again and again. So now we're going to celebrate that these young uh, men and women, we've got two young men and two young women uh, who put faith in Jesus and they want to begin this life of discipleship to Jesus and transformation. So, yep, they can go change. Um, and why don't we stand up? We're going to come to the table and I'm going to pray. We have a lot of visitors. Um, The communion table is open to all baptized believers. If you're a baptized Christian and and your desire is to be a student of Jesus and follow him, uh, this table is open to you. So pray with me as we uh, as we come to the table tonight. Father, we thank you for the great good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you not only brought forgiveness through the atoning blood of your son, but Lord, you broke uh, the back of sin in our lives 
And now, Lord, through the help of your Holy Spirit, you are leading us in transformation. Uh, Lord, in being changed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, I pray that, uh, that if there's any of us who are baptized believers who are not, have not learned to reckon ourselves in grace with this identity that we receive in your Son, Lord, that you would, that you would show them and bring a change in them. God, I pray that any who have not learned to, to do the daily thing of offering up the members of their body to be used by you, uh, to not let them be instruments for the former way of life that we lived, God, that you would, by your grace, give us that gift. You would stir us up to that gift. And then, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this meal where we preach as we participate in this meal, your death until you return, where we proclaim your death on behalf of sinners until you return. Jesus, Jesus, you, your body was broken on the cross, and this is that bread that was broken that you give us. Jesus, your blood was shed on the cross, and we thank you for this cup that is the covenant, uh, the blood of the new covenant that we are celebrating here tonight. Uh, Lord, we thank you that it is at this table that you nourish us with the grace that comes from your Holy Spirit uh, to do this thing of continuing to live a life of reckoning and offering ourselves up to you. We thank you for that tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.